Welcome to a fresh perspective on business technology. This is Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. Presented by Rising, a Wipro company. You'll hear from business and technology innovators who know how to use the latest technologies and business strategies to transform industries, and importantly, how these technologies and strategies can be shaped to your business needs in your way. Help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. That's me, Bonnie D. in the house. Thank you, lady who's in disembodied voice. We appreciate the intro. I want my panelists all to smile. Welcome to Rising Evolution. We are a couple weeks into this brand new series, and we've been covering some very exciting topics, and we will not fail you today. In the U.S., I know you're all getting ready for something called Thanksgiving. Well, I'm giving thanks for the privilege of being able to produce and host this show. So I will start, as I usually do, with a little poem. Panelists, don't be scared. It's okay. Dean, I'm talking to you. So I want you all to listen up for a minute. I collaborated with something we know familiarly as ChatGPT. It's an LLM, large language model AI. You put it all together. And it helped me write this poem about today's topic. When I say your name, please just wave because we are live streaming and everybody can see you on LinkedIn and everybody can see you, I think, on one of my Facebook channels and they can hear you on the Voice America business channel. So here we go. In the binary dance of circuits and apps, a tale unfolds where technology maps. Enterprise software, a scapegoat often named. For performance issues, it's frequently blamed. Uh-oh, Steve, this is a warning to all of our, yeah, we know. Yet the reality is a complex terrain where success is woven a delicate chain, not just in the realm of lines and code, but in the challenge of humans on HR bestowed. Ooh, on this episode, we embark on a quest searching the dynamics where success find its nest. People, processes, technologies embrace a trifecta of power in the enterprise space. Join us today for a discussion, enlightening and bold, dispelling misconceptions, truths will unfold. Insights for seekers for a performance refined, efficiencies, secrets, are the tech landscapes find. Here comes the part where I mention your name. Dean Edmondson, wave hello. And Lars Bergman, with wisdom to sow. Megan Marie Butler and Dr. Stephen Hunt, leaders in the know. See, I got you all. With Bonnie D as host, the conversation glides. We'll cover the landscape and its many sides. Listen or watch on our virtual stream. Organized for success, a tech-driven dream. Can technology alone make you a hero, you ask? Stick around for the insights. We are up to the task. Okay, let's rate it. I didn't tell you this, but we want to. <laughs> Lars liked it a lot. He's still smiling. Make it what you think. Good? 10 out of 10. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Steve. Fantastic. It was like Dr. Seuss crossed with Josh Burson. Beautiful. <laughs> Josh Burson will be very pleased. Dean, what'd you think? I, I'm holding up the 10 card as well. <laughs> oh, I will tell you that here's in case anybody's wondering, I took uh, the topic that Hannah Hale at Rising Road and thank you and shout out to Hannah Hale and Sherry Meyer at Rising for all the support. They're my co-producers on this series and they're wonderful. Hannah wrote the opening, the intro or the, or the overview, oh, I call it the abstract for this episode. I take that text and then I take a little bit about each of you and I just feed it and I say, ChatGPT, please write me a poem in a business tone of language using this text. And I just plop it all in and hit return. And then I count, Steve. I start the count. One, two. By the time I hit the number three, I have gotten the full poem. 
it is there on my screen. Sometimes if I say, I'd like you to do this, change that, whatever, it'll give me two versions side by side and say, pick the one you like. It's uh -huh. that sophisticated. I know, I know. And then I go to work and take some time and change it, clean it up, move some words around and make sure that you're all very, very highlighted. So welcome everybody. Now you know our topic and our topic officially for today is, as I scroll up, organized for success. Will technology alone make you a hero? And the two operative words there are, the phrases are technology alone and hero, because you want to be a hero. Let's go around the table. I'm welcoming my guests, and we'd like you all to introduce yourselves, starting out with Dean Edmondson. Dean, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you please regale us with your background and what this topic means to you? Dean, welcome. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for joining today. Uh, my name is, as Bonnie Dean mentioned, is Dean Edmondson. I'm a senior executive with over 30 years experience driving business transformation across many different industries. I've worked a, a lot in the oil and gas utility engineering construction industries to help transformation around technologies. I've held CXO, CXO roles in software companies as well as service and cloud hosting companies. And most importantly to me, what these roles and what these experiences across different companies have helped me with is to understand transformation and how transformation happens and the organizational change management that we need to be precious about it as any organization helping others to go through that transformational process. There's a, there's a lot of insight that we gain each time we do this and that internal 360 review and that transfer of that knowledge back to the customer is imperative. And it's, it's why customers ask us for help in, in that we, we do this hundreds of times over and no organization has the ability to do it hundreds of times within themselves. So they benefit each time from that. And I really appreciate the opportunity to take those successes, help other organizations see the benefit of those successes and drive that. And it's not just about technology. So when we go through transformation, it's about human transformation as well, understanding how to move people to a different capacity, a different capability, and put them into places that they never might have thought of being before um, based on technology, based on business processes, based on where organizations want to go and competitively differentiate themselves. So that's a really exciting part of transformation, if you will. And I, uh, I've done this, um, as I mentioned before, with many other organizations. I've, at Rising, I'm responsible for the BTP practice, the business technology platform practice. And that business technology platform is a, uh, a platform, as, it, as the name denotes, where when you roll out a standard SAP product, for example, or there's a fit for standard type of deployment. What the BTP solution allows you to get to is fit for perfection. And that's really exciting because, as I mentioned earlier, this is about technology, but it's also about people and it's about processes and weaving all of those components together to provide the end customer with a better story, a better um, uh, experience when they're working in their organization across many different systems. And as, as we talk about these different topics today, I'll be coming from it from a mindset of many different customers, many different business processes, and a technology perspective that allows you to weave together all of those different components into one, one solution that fits the customer's needs. Thank you, Dean. Lovely. And I like the word transformation. That's what we're talking about. Is technology the end all, the be all? We used to have the word called panacea, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, get this app, put this process in, 
everything will be great. And the person who raised that green flag and said, let's go, go to market, go wherever you want, they were the hero. Well, it's not that easy anymore. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Lars Bergman, delighted to see you. I'm putting you on speaker view. Please, let's have a brief bio. And why are you excited about our topic? Welcome, Lars. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. And, and welcome to everyone. And thanks for joining. Um, I, I grew up in the electric and gas utility industry, and I've led uh, many organizations, mostly in operations. And I've had the opportunity over the years to to lead business transformation efforts at utilities. And utilities aren't known for being uh, out on the cutting edge. They're at times a little bit sleepy uh, in, in their implementation. So you've really got to find a way to energize the base, get folks interested in transformation, get them engaged. Um, when I first started doing business transformation at utilities 20 plus years ago, um, somebody described it to me as, as the equivalent of setting your hair on fire and putting it out with a rock. Now that's, that's pretty graphic in terms of, um, of the effort, but it, uh, it, it, it's, it's fairly accurate. Now the good news is there's a lot of tricks and tips and, and ways to engage the folks closest to the work to make sure that their input is heard, it's acknowledged. I'll refer to it as those adult conversations. They're not going to get everything that they want. Change is tough, but you want them standing shoulder to shoulder with you when you go live and they understand it's not going to be perfect, but uh, it is going to, to transform the way they do their work the way they execute it, and frankly, the value that they get out of it as employees. And uh, business transformation um, has been a passion of mine for years, and it's business transformation and technology implementation with a purpose. The mere act of just putting something in, a new piece of software, doesn't interest me, but actually getting benefit and value and changing the way that business is executed, that's what really excites me. So. Um, at Rising, I, I lead our business development practice for enterprise asset management globally, and uh, I'm really happy to be here today. Well, we're really happy to have you, and I have to do a sidebar that we were talking about Thanksgiving recipes and plans for this week, and uh, Lars shared with me that he's brining a fresh turkey, and I'm very envious that might have to get your recipe because next year I think that's where I'm going to go. Thank you, Lars. I can't forget that. Sure. Thank you very much. Glad you're here. Let's go to Megan Butler. I named you Megan Marie Butler in my opening because I know there's a middle name in there somewhere. Megan, I'm putting you on speaker view. We're so happy to have you. Please introduce yourself and why are you here today? Welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you for having uh, having me here. Um, so I'm a future of work uh, strategist at Rising. And I bring together over 15 years of professional experience and nearly a decade of post-secondary education. So obviously I have no life. Um, my whole focus for the last seven years has been looking at artificial intelligence and HR. And what really comes along with those questions are how are people adopting these technology or how people are using them? And what we really notice is that regardless of the technology, the adoption rate is different. So why why can we use the same technology and adopt it differently in organizations? And it comes down to understanding the social technical processes that are going on. And so it's not just the technology, but what are the social processes happening in organizations that are allowing 
are not allowing adoption of new technologies to happen. And so my re research has been focusing on that area. And I have some really interesting, unique insights on how leadership impacts um, adoption, how strategy impacts culture and the way we adopt, et cetera. So I'm, I'm really fascinated to hear what everyone thinks, especially coming from that um, industry side and bringing that expertise and then blending it with the theory that we have from the academic side to be able to provide a more holistic look about what's happening in organizations and why why are some organizations so successful and how can we replicate that? Thank you very much. I like the idea that you uh, the uh, the notion of bringing in the academic side, Megan, and and bringing in the people side. And a word after Steve introduces himself, I'm just going to question the word hero because what is that? Who is that? Do we need that hero? Should everybody win? Uh, we'll leave that one alone. So Steve Hunt, you and I've known each other for years. We worked together at SAP for a long time. I'm so happy to see you again. Everybody else is new to me and I to them. So Steve Hunt, putting you on speaker if you love the glasses, by the way. Steve, please introduce yourself. Uh, I'm guessing there are a lot of people around the world who may already know you uh, through your various roles, but talk to everybody, please, and tell us also why are you happy to be here? I think you are. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for joining this and great to be part of this group. I mean, just hearing the stuff that people were mentioning, you know, Dean, human transformation, technology with a purpose, socio-technological change, Megan, that's like, boy, we speak the same language. Um, the What I do, I am the chief expert for work in technology for SAP and my focus, um, my background, I have a PhD in a field called industrial organizational psychology, which is not clinical psychology, it's the psychology of work. And my career has focused on how to use technology to create more effective work environments, more adaptable work environments, more inclusive work environments, more productive, um, healthier. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've actually was recognized as I've talked to more success factors customers than almost probably any person on the planet. It's in the thousands now. And the thing that I think is interesting in the work that I do is technology changes radically all the time. The basic functionalities, I mean, like generative AI is an interesting one. The mathematics we have had for generative AI is that's not new. The concept of like machine learning, skills, ontologies, all that stuff, we've had that. We just didn't have the processing speed and the data. And so the technology really radically changes based as we build these new capabilities. But the thing that doesn't change about work is people, the fundamental psychology of people. The way I put it is technology evolves very fast as we develop new capabilities. People don't evolve very fast. We don't change. We do adapt. And a lot of the work that I do focuses on how do we use technology to create more effective workforces, to adapt to a changing world, taking into account the one constant that we have in an organization, which is the fundamental psychology of people. I mean, are there differences on generations? There are surface levels in terms of some attitudes and stuff, but the way I put it is my kids listen to very different music than I do, but we both listen to music. We both like to dance. The fundamental things that make us human don't change. And um, that's, you know, I'm very excited to have this conversation about the role of technology because it can make our lives better. It can also make our lives a lot worse. I'm also, Bonnie, obligated to say I wrote a book on this topic <laughs> called Talent Tectonics. <laughs> so if you guys like what I hear today and you want to hear me go on and on about it in great detail, pick up a copy. 
<laughs> I'll, get, I'll get you on one of my other shows where we talk to authors, Steve. Thank you. You just got an invitation. Steve, I was very intrigued when you mentioned about the different generations, the demographics, and the, the thin differences. I, I read a couple of years ago, it might have been when I was at SAP, that we had at that time, it was pre-pandemic, we had five different generations, cohorts we call them, right, in the workforce at the same time. Can you imagine the 21-year-olds or younger, just coming into the workforce, talking to the boomers at the time, and all of the generations in between. Interesting. What is success? What is a hero? What is technology? The people dynamic. Steve, go ahead, say something. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I, we can probably get into generational stuff, but one thing I would say, why there are differences, we have to be really careful. I say, you don't need a PhD in psychology to know that grouping people based on their demographic characteristics, slapping a label on them and making generalizations about them is bad. It's called stereotyping. And most of the generational stuff is kind of a formula for ageism. So yes, there are differences, but by and large, we're more similar across generations. And what changes is people don't change. Our attitudes change based on the technology that's available and the current labor market, but it's not like people have fundamentally changed. Although as long as there have been people, we've been complaining about different generations. Those yeah, kids yeah. these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, technology scapegoat, that was in my introduction. There you go. So we blame tech from time to time too. Thank you all for your buyers. You're all interesting, fascinating people, very, very learned and uh, very expert in this field. And I'm very happy to be having all of you here today. Happy to be. I've never said that. Okay, so let's go around the table. I've asked each of you to please send me, and we'll keep this part brief, send me a fictional quote from a movie or a TV character or a song lyric that has nothing to do with technology and heroes and success, I hope. And you're going to relate your quote to the topic in your own words. I will read the quote with a little bit of background and then go for it. Two to, two to three minutes would be fine. So Dean Edmondson has picked a quote from the wonderful, so sad, the show ended after three seasons. They only wrote a three-season arc. It's Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso played by the wonderful Jason Sudeikis. It's an American sports comedy drama TV series, and this particular quote is from season two, episode 11, called The Midnight, Midnight Train to Royston. It aired on Apple TV Plus on October 1st, 2021. Brief background, Ted Lasso is based on the character Sudeikis it played, he created in promos for NBC sports coverage of England's Premier League. And Ted Lasso was an American football coach who is unexpectedly recruited to go coach a fictional English Premier League soccer team, AFC Richmond. And there are a lot of dynamics in there and we won't go into it, but it was a lovely show. And here's one of the bon mots, Dean, that's a good words in French, excuse me, uh, that he says in the show and you're going to relate it. So he says, you say impossible all I hear is, I'm possible. Okay, Dean, take it away. How does that relate? Megan likes that. How does it relate to our topic? Go ahead, Dean. Yeah, so I, I, I really like Ted Lasso for a number of different reasons, but I, the, the eternal optimism that comes out of his character in this show makes everything possible. And when we're doing transformational change management, organizational change management, if we take the approach of being the Tigger versus the Eeyore, in this case, and look at the possibility and, and be very open-minded to, you know, what the future has in store for us and how we can participate in that with a little bit of change, a little bit of reforming our, our mental attitudes about change. I think that it's as simple as, you know, the, the characterization of impossible to I am possible. And, it, and it's really that simple. Part of this whole process and, you know, as we talk about organizational change management, 
is helping people to understand that. And, and we can do it, again, through technology. We can do it through discussion. We can do it through finding early adopters who just have that formula in their head so that they can help the rest of the organization see that path. But it's our job as an organization, working with other senior leaders across the, across the companies that we work with, to help them understand how we get rid of the valley of despair that some people go in and we can put bridges across that, we can put ladders into it to pull people out of it because inevitably there, there are some tones that make people think that this could be a change that I don't like, um, but we can change that with a couple tools and exercises. And I love Ted Lasso for all the tools and, and the, the trite little quotes that he gave to, to help us really rethink how we approach change. Thank you. Dean? I'm at a loss for words, which is very rare, <laughs> Steve knows. That was so beautifully said about the value, the importance of the writing, of the delivery of Ted Lasso. And we all miss him. And usually a show like that takes seven or eight years of an arc, but they just decided three was enough. I think we should all lobby to get it back for season four. I'll sign that petition. Okay, let's go to Lars. Uh, let's go to Lars Bergman. Lars has picked a very classic quote from a movie from, oh my goodness, 1992, Do the Math. It's stated by the character Jimmy Dugan, played by the wonderful, so many wonderful actors, Tom Hanks, yelling at Evelyn Gardner. And she was played by an actress named Biddy Schramm. And if any of you followed the TV series Monk, with Tony Shalhoub. I believe Biddy Schramm played his, his secretary during several of the seasons of Monk. Quite a show. The movie here we're talking about is a league of their own 1992 American sports comedy drama film. It's the fictionalized account of the real-life All-American Girls Professional League Baseball League, AAGPBL, directed by, oh, Penny Marshall, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Laurie Petty, John Lovitz, David Strathairn, Gary Marshall, and Bill Pullman. What a set. It was in, it's 19, I'm sorry, in 2012, it was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Woo! -hoo. Here's the quote. Five words. Lars, let's go for this. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> Who doesn't love that quote? Lars, what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Well, it, it's not just the way that, that uh, it, the words that were said, but the way that Tom Hanks delivers it is just classic. There's no crying in baseball, you know, and he's just impassioned about it. And I, I was reminded of a time when I was rolling out a transformation program amongst a bunch of um, uh, utility folks. And these are guys in the field that are, their world is being changed and we're going to measure their performance different ways. We've got scorecards. We've got ways to, to monitor how well they're doing. We're going to force rank their performance against their peers. And one of those very foremen broke down and started crying. And, and to myself, I thought, wait a minute, there's no crying in baseball and there's no crying in construction and maintenance. And then I, I got to thinking about it you know what, this is change and change is deep and it's intense and it's very personal. They say politics is local. Um, well, change and change management is very personal and there's loss and there's other things that factor into it. And to myself, I thought of that movie and I thought, you know, this is from the 30s and 40s, um, I think was the era when men didn't cry, for example. So Tom Hanks was translating that to a woman crying. But as I think about it, in sports today, there's a lot of crying in sports today. Football, <laughs> basketball, baseball, golf, 
everyone's crying when they win, when they lose, when they did great, when they did poorly. There's it a just lot says, of whining too, Lars. There's a fair amount of whining. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But what it says to me is our emotions are a heck of a lot closer to the surface than we realize. And I think we need to tap into those emotions. We need to acknowledge them. We need to value them. Um, we need to have, again, those adult conversations with folks to say, I understand where you are. I'm meeting you where you are. I know this is intense. Let's talk it through. And so that was a roundabout way of saying, I've actually seen that quote in a meeting. Um, and uh, there's a lot more to it than just Tom Hanks berating Thank one of his Lars. players. Thank you. That was beautifully put. Yes. And Steve, there is whining. And usually that's the ones who aren't crying or whining because somebody else is. I'm just going to throw that out <laughs> there. Right. Let's, let's go to let's go to <laughs> Megan Marie Butler has picked another classic quote. This is just classic quote day here on Rising Evolution. She's picked a quote from Forrest Gump. What another Tom Hanks movie? Is this Tom Hanks classic day? A 1994 American comedy drama. When you put comedy drama as genres together, by the way, they get a dash in between. Forrest Gump directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Eric Roth, based on the 1986 Winston Groom novel. And uh, Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Mylecki Williamson, and Sally Field. Oh, what a good movie. Story depicts several decades in the life of Forrest, Hank, Forrest Gump, played by Hanks. Forrest Hanks, there you go. A slow-witted and kind-hearted man from Alabama who witnesses and unwittingly influences several defining historical events in the 20th century U.S. And by the way, the film differs substantially from the original novel. Here's the quote Megan has picked. My mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. How'd I do, Megan? Is that okay? Beautifully done. Beautifully Thank done. You. Thank you. <laughs> um, so uh, why, why I decided to pick that quote for today's show was the biggest thing that I've learned over the years is for organize, like, if organizations um, looking for success with technology, it's more about knowing about yourself than about the technology. Too often people look for technology solutions that work somewhere else and expect it to work for themselves. And if you start by understanding what you're, what's going on in your or, own organization, you can find a solution that will probably work better. And um, and the biggest thing is, is every organization is different. They're so unique. And um, we need to honor that uniqueness to be able to find the right solution. So that was my pick of, of quotes for today. And plus I don't watch a lot of television so I didn't have a lot of choices. <laughs> Thank you very much. By the way, I keep a collection of quotes that I've found in radio, TV, movies, uh, cartoons, songs. I have about 50 or 75 now in a document I keep in my drafts in my Outlook mail. So if anybody is ever looking for a quote from, from popular culture, I'll call it broadly, just come to me and I'll be glad to share a whole bunch. I got some real doozies there. Thank you very much. Dr. Steve Hunt has picked a quote from, well, this is not a Tom Hanks movie. How dare you? <laughs> a quote from Brian Stimson, played by John Cleese. Anybody thinking about that? To Laura Wisely, his student, played by an actress named Sharon Maiden, just like it sounds. Clockwise, 1986 British absurdist comedy road film. Cleese won the 1987 Peter Sellers Award for Comedy at the Evening Standard British Film Awards. I'm sure that means something to somebody. Brian Stimson, headmaster of Thomas Tompion Comprehensive School, has been elected to chair the annual Headmasters Conference meeting in Norwich. 
not Connecticut. Careless as a young man, he is now compulsively organized. Steve, this would make a good thing for you to do in one of your books. He's strictly punctual and he runs his school like clockwork, hence the name of the movie. He is the first headmaster, blah, 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 to chair the conference in honor deserved, reserved for heads of more prestigious private schools and everything goes wrong. So, Steve, I'm going to read the quote. you got to unpack this for us. It's not the despair, Laura. I can take the despair. It's the hope I can't stand. This sounds very interesting. <laughs> Laura, Laura's, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't I, do a good John Cleese. Steve, go ahead, rescue me. No, I, you know, I've always liked that quote because actually I guess it relates to me personally that, you know, with technology in particular, I sometimes joke it. If you've worked in this field for a long time, technology is about a lot of false hopes and expectations that we keep thinking is going to do stuff that it doesn't do. But that goes both ways. It's false hopes and expectations positively, but also negatively. People think it'll make things worse. And I think, Lars, that I really like that you shared about these people's emotional reactions. If you look at how people are reacting to like generative AI, there's false hopes going all over the board, right? I'm almost one thing I can almost guarantee about all the predictions of generative AI is they're probably all wrong, um, you know, going both ways. Um, and I think the the I think a lot of when you look at using technology, kind of going back to what I focus on, which is the fundamentals that don't change are people. People actually are really good at change in the right conditions, but we're kind of wired to be skeptical about change. And so when technology comes out, we almost inter intrinsically look at it. This is going to try to get me to do something I don't want to do, or it's going to take something away from me that I like. And that's kind of how we first start. And I think really looking at using technology to show how it's going to improve people's lives, how it's going to meet their goals. And if you look at the world of like HR technology, so much of it, if we're really honest in the past, it wasn't deployed to improve employee experience. It was deployed to reduce administrative costs by projecting pain and suffering at scale on employees and managers. How many of us like self-service technology? I mean, it's it, 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 if, if it works, great, but a lot of it really historically didn't work very well. I mean, how many of us, when we call on the phone, are like, oh, good, I got a phone tree. I didn't want to talk to a human. I wanted to press, press seven, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> So much in historically, the use of technology has been focused on cost reduction and efficiency. It hasn't been helping the actual end user. And in the case of what we're talking about, it's employees. Now, happily, and actually is one of the things that my book, Talent Tectonics, talks a lot about is that's changed. <laughs> it's changed for a variety of reasons. Um, it's changed because of a scarcer labor market. It's changed because the nature of work requires people to be creative, collaborative, caring, and you can't do that stuff if you feel exploited, burned out, or frustrated. So we've had a lot of positive changes, but I think a lot of what we need to do when we're implementing technology in both the design of it and the deployment is be far more empathetic to the user that's going to use it, look at it from their perspective, and be far more realistic and conservative about yeah, this is going to change stuff, but it's not going to transform the nature of work. There's very few technologies that completely change the nature of work. Um, they do happen, but they're few and far between. Thank you very much, Stephen. My experience, my vast working experience, it's usually a manager, a boss, mm -hmm. a leader whose behavior changes the nature of work. Yes. immediately, indelibly, irrevocably for the people around that person to whom who report to that person or who manage that person. And that can just be as disruptive as 
any kind of new technology. One comment, Steve, and then we got to move on. Go ahead. Uh, well, I, know, I think you, you raise a really good point, actually, about the impact of humans on employee experience. There's a really interesting thing on generative AI, where I read a, a study by a clinical psychologist. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but they said how generative AI can never do counseling. It can tactically do it. It can provide like the advice and the guidance. But they said part of a key part of counseling is knowing there's another human who's devoting their life in the form of time and attention to thinking about you. And I think to Bonnie, on your point, technology can never be empathetic. It can never care. And part of a good employee experience is knowing that there's other people that you work with that think of you as a human. And I think that's one of the things where you look at sort of false hopes and expectations about technology. Let's not try to make it something that it will never be. Thank you. And I will tell you that ChatGPT has wonderful etiquette skills. It was trained so that if it sends me a quote that I tell it was not that person, it was not at Tom Hanks in that movie, or somebody else said it, it will say, I apologize for any inconvenience I caused you. You are right. It was somebody else. Lars, it really says that to me. So it's been well-trained, which is, it's not sentient, but it does have certain social skills. I use that word advisedly. Let's move on. Thank you very much. Dean, I put into the chat for you. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, your statement number one. We're going into our formal roundtable part of the show, although we have been around the table several times already. Dean, I'm going to read this statement. It's just a one-liner. Take about two minutes, please. And then everybody, Megan, Steve, and Lars, I want you to sit at the edge of your chair and pay attention because uh, that's it, Steve. Uh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, <laughs> we heard that book reference again, Steve. We're, we're counting. It's very appropriate. So what I'd like you to do is after Dean finishes, I will ask Lars to agree or disagree with Dean. Don't be afraid. Dean's in a very good mood today. He told me and menu was great for Thursday. And then Megan, I'll go to you and ask you to agree or disagree with Dean and or with Lars. And then Steve, you get to wrap up the go around on agree or disagree. Let's try to keep it brief because I want to pick one statement from each of you when we've I've got 21 minutes left. So let's see if we can do this. Dean Edmondson said the following in his statement to me before the show. The best business results occur if organizations approach technology projects with a top-down view and a bottoms-up execution strategy. Brief and to the point, Dean, go ahead, unpack it. Two minutes for us, please. Yeah, so this this is, uh, it, it, it's a tough one. So when we, when we work with organizations and, and some of the best-in-class organizations, how I see them uh, looking at transformation and how they want to adopt something new is that they, they do need the executive sponsorship. So from a top-down perspective, they definitely want to have executive sponsorship, participation from that team, and a broad brush. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier when, um, you know, when you're in, when you're when you have change coming in the organization, Steve mentioned that technology really doesn't. There's very few technology transformations, and and Bonnie D, you mentioned that you know a person can come in and make change happen. In this case, mm -hmm. the top-down incentives, the top-down you know leadership can really begin to make change happen across an organization. And, but that doesn't happen without the bottoms-up approach. And the bottoms-up approach is, you know, what's in it for me? What, how can I contribute to this? And if you're going to push change across the organization, or you're going to enable, I think is a better term, change across an organization, then you have to really think about how do I get buy-in across that organizational team? 
what motivations are there for the rest of the team to want to participate in this? How do I identify some wins? And those wins usually come through um, small regional or, 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 you know, group wins where you identify an early adopter, somebody who wants to be at the tip of the spear, who wants to lead the change effort, and who wants to help define what success could look like. And then the rest of the team can, can you know, begin to work with that group to understand what aspects that they went through to make the change happen, how that benefited the organization. And they can jump on that bandwagon or ride that wake, if you will, of the success wave that goes through there. So it's not just, you know, starting with a problem at a level, it's starting with an understanding of what the potential problem is, what the solution could be, and then partitioning the levels of the organization so that we're attacking it from both sides and we're enabling leadership to help and support the change and the doers of the organization to initiate and feel the, the satisfaction of that change so that that buy-in actually happens and the broader organization adopts it and we move on to the next phase. And it's not a big bang by any stretch. These are you know, micro changes along the way where people become more satisfied, more inclined to jump on and support that um, bigger initiative. And it has all of its NBOs and everything set up because the organization has taken both the top-down and bottoms-up approach. So a lot, a lot was said there, I know, um, but it is as simple as being making sure that both the top and the bottom understand what the change is, how the change can affect his or her uh, role within the organization, and, uh, and giving them the tools to enable the broader organization to come together as one. Thank you, Dean. Very well put. Let's go around the table. Briefly, agree or disagree? Mr. Bergman, you're up. Talk. I agree completely. Um, I would add, though, that that meeting in the middle where the top down and the bottom up comes together is vitally important. And those conversations and that uh, how that plays out, that's probably where the where the secret sauce is embedded. Hmm, interesting. Megan Butler, talk to me. Um, it was really interesting while I was listening to Dean. I was thinking there's a piece of research and it's killing me because I can't think of the author. Um, it, I believe it was an MIT review paper and it talked about the need for having what they quoted as big I innovation, minute management driven type innovation alongside small I innovation, which is employee led innovation. Um, and that it, it's not just about having um, that, that organization changing in uh, technology all the time, but enabling employees through that technology to come up with local ideas on how to implement it best for how it works in the organization. And that's what it really made me think of is like, how do you bring together that management, that management big eye innovation that's driving, that's able to drive a new technology across an entire organization while still fostering and being able to enable the small eye innovation of local employees being able to come up with applying the solution to the best possible way for how they're doing business. Interesting. And in the real world, outside of the, the corporate walls, we call that grassroots, right? Is what do people have to say? Steve, join us. Agree or disagree with anybody yeah, or yeah. everybody? I, I agree. But I think one of the things, too, is recognizing that what employees want from a job is not necessarily what companies want employees to do all the time. They don't always align. Like, <laughs> um, And I think one of the things I, I always talk about is like, 
companies can't get what they need from employees if employees don't get what they want, but employees won't get what they want if companies don't get what they need because good employee experiences don't come from working for failing companies. So it's about really about how to balance these two. And I think it's interesting how technology is having a big impact on this. Really good example is that I, I work with a lot of companies that have large shift-driven scheduled workforces, and they're all struggling to fill the shifts because of broader demographic labor market changes. And what's happening now is people are realizing that the biggest thing that impacts hiring is job design. Are you designing jobs that people actually want? And the biggest thing that impacts shift schedule jobs, one of the biggest is the shift itself. And so now we're seeing technologies develop that give employees a lot more control over their shift schedules you know, and be able to swap shifts and take time, which from a company perspective, just, oh, this makes things more complicated. But from a life perspective for employees, it's like, no, I'd like to be able to take two hours out and see my kids play sports. Thank you very much. You know, so it, it's this balance. And I think that's where when they're looking at this, I think part of it is it used to be the company would come up what it wanted, Dean, to your point, and then they try to pitch it and sell it to the employees. I think there's a shift now where companies are saying, well, this is what we need, but let's spend more time understanding what employees want and find a way to balance these two as opposed to the more top-down, big eye, force the small eye to do it as opposed to putting them on the same level. And I think that's where technology really is enabling significant changes. Remote work is another good example. A lot of a lot of leaders don't want remote work because it you know, they, I don't know why they don't want it. I think they're just, because <laughs> I didn't grow up with it. I like, but, I like um, <laughs> your management voice so that you've taken on there, though. <laughs> yeah, Not invented here. <laughs> but the, um, yeah, the, I, so, yeah, I always say, if you have to see your employees to manage them, unless you're managing ballet dancers, you're a crappy manager. <laughs> um, so Wait a minute, is that a quotable moment? Is Sherry, Sherry, so. or, Sherry Meyer is in the background. Sherry, can you transcribe that for us? I want to see that. Oh I want gosh. to see that on LinkedIn but, this afternoon. Thank but you. But is that point of technology is enabling us to have a lot more of this balance between those two perspectives and have more flexibility in the way that we accomplish things? And I think it is going back to. I totally agree with you, Dean. It's looking at both perspectives. I think the change is historically we didn't put nearly enough focus on the what Megan. I guess you refer to as the small I innovations in work. So. Yeah, if I if I was to add one one additional yes, comment please. to this, because I think I think we talked about management styles and man, you know, how do we manage people? And, and this has nothing to do with management. This is a hundred percent leadership, and mm -hmm. how do we lead lead people? Um, and and how do we participate and roll up our sleeves to be part of that team and and get out there and do it? And so it's it, it to to Steve's point, it's not really a management style. This is a leadership style. And that's the transformation that I think is going on in business and has been going on for a number of years now. Thank you, Dean. That was a great conversation starter. And I want to give my two cents sidebar here, Steve. You mentioned job design. Well, I don't know if anybody here on the panel besides me has answered a job, or a job, gone for an interview, gotten the job, arrived and found out that the other employees in the department or the team had no interest in having that employee there. They didn't want that function filled. They thought it was theirs. They didn't want you. They didn't like you. And a rug was literally pulled out from underneath you on the first day. And it was Battle City. And that was so 
job design to me is it has to be speak the truth of what the what the organization the people in the organization not Megan, the big eye wants that mm-hmm. job filled, but how does the organization feel about it? Maybe that's a way to look at that mm-hmm. bottom up, Dean, of how do you say, what do we need in terms of new talent and mm-hmm. new possibilities is what do other people think about that? So anyway, I, I don't want to get too personal, but I've seen that happen in several places and it's not very pleasant as a newcomer to a big company. Let's leave that one on the floor there. So let's go around. Dean, that was wonderful. Lars, I have put into the chat for you a statement number two from your list here. And this is interesting. So let's do a two minute from you unpack and then we'll go around the table. It'll be Megan and then Steve and then Dean. So Lars says, leaders like to have an, I'm putting air quotes, open door policy, which is great, but their inner problem solver and rescuer takes over and they invariably start to tinker, micromanage, rescue, and do someone else's job. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Lars, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, so firsthand experience. Um, when I started my business transformation journey 20 plus years ago, uh, I had a 360 coaching engagement with all of my management team. We were doing some large initiatives at a utility. And so everyone was getting coached. We had feedback from our peers and everything. And we had our first report out session. And I arrived there along with everybody else with my management team. And and they said, well, that's your chair in the middle of the room. I said, well, that's interesting. And they said, we have some feedback we want to share with you. You have this open door policy and you are a rescuer, tinkerer, problem solver. And when you do that, what you're doing is making the rest of us not irrelevant, but but it's like, that, that's my job. And I can't force multiply and get the most out of the folks that I'm working with and, and we can't contribute the most if we're not all um, doing our part. And leaders oftentimes will say, oh, I hear that problem. Let, let me work on that for you. And there's there might be two or three levels uh, in between them and the employee where they've just made them irrelevant. And so I think in order to get the real value out of change initiatives, You have to engage and you have to do it very carefully. Um, They need to be heard, but you don't need to be solving everybody's problems and doing their jobs. Otherwise, you end up with just the thinking of one individual, and that's not the optimum solution. Very, very well put. Brief and to the point. Let's go around the table fast. Megan, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Um, I, I totally agree with Lars, and I think that it's becoming a much more important fact as we move forward and that senior management in the past needed to be the most technical person in the room, where now they need to be the consensus builder in the room and bring together the expertise that they have. Um, and as we as we have more knowledge worker and more trained employees, and especially in a more digital world, that's going to become more important. And the core role of senior leadership will be to bring those, ex- or not senior leadership, but managers will be to bring those those people together and, and understand from them what the best approach is, not to be telling them what, what the best approach is. Thank you. Steve Hunt, join us. Yeah. And so I think building on that too, that one of the things we need much better tools from leaders to actually understand the experience that employees are having. Um, I remember talking to one of our customers and they said that leaders without some form of technology actually can't really understand what's going on with their employees because one, they can't possibly talk to every single employee if it's a large organization. But they also said that 
you know, if you're a leader and you go out, especially when you're higher up, the way employees interact with you is it's not authentic. It's not disauthentic, but you know, um, I remember one colleague of mine met like a very senior level person was having a really significant challenge. There was a thing the company had done that really didn't make sense. And I, you know, I asked, well, did you talk to this exec about it? He goes, no, I don't want to be the only time this person meets me. I'm whining about some problem that, you know, when you're a leader, you're living in a bubble. Um, and socially intelligent employees who don't interact with you very often aren't going to be like necessarily being candid with you about what their work is actually like because they want to put on a good face, right? You know, and so I think one of the biggest challenges is you know finding a way for leaders to understand the experiences their players are having and then show that empathy and that action um, because I think historically a lot of leaders assume they know and they don't. They don't, and it's no fault of their own, but they, they just don't. And so that's where we need probably, a, and where technology is helping, it's helping us get better understanding, but it's, it is going back to Dean, what you said, it's mindset of leaders being realistic to say, I don't, I don't have a clear picture. I don't live in these people's shoes. Let's put empathy in the job description, Steve. Yeah. Dean, turning it over to you. Go ahead. Two yeah. minutes. Yeah. So there, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, this, there's a couple of different ways to approach this. From my perspective, it's coaching. And if you're a coach, you're not doing it as much. You can still roll up your sleeves and be a great coach. But if you start doing it, you limit their career progression, you limit their productivity, you limit their job satisfaction. And that, that's limiting to the, the not just that person, but the whole team because it becomes systemic across the team that you know, you're going to take this approach. There's a great book that was written about this topic, One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey by Ken Blanchard. He talks about this, and this comes at us from two different ways. One, the manager could be at fault for this, or the leader could be at fault for this, or two, the employee could be at fault for this because he or she just wants to keep going to somebody else to get the answers. And it's our responsibility as leaders within the organization to be coaches when, when it's appropriate. We, we, we need to coach from the sidelines. We don't get in the game until you know it's absolutely necessary but the, the team out there executing the plays should be the team responsible for executing the plays and the ones that get patted on the back for a nice win or a nice play throughout the process and that equity that, <clears throat> that they get from those pats on the back is something that they can put in their pocket and we take that equity away when we do it for them said Interesting. Lars, you want to wrap this up? Because I've got, I've teed up a statement from Megan I want to cover. Go ahead, Lars. No, it's, it's, I love, I love the insights and the, uh, and the different perspectives that people bring on this. It's a, it's a very uh, near and dear subject to me. So good. Very good conversation starter. Megan Butler, I'm looking at your statement number one here. Megan says, going back to our topic of technology, can it make you hero alone? Here we go. Organizations can invest in the same technologies and have different outcomes. She puts in parentheses, success rate of adoption using qualitative measures because of social differences. Megan, three minutes, and then I think we'll just have enough time to go around the table. And Steve, you've had plenty of comments, so I'm not worried about you. Go ahead, Megan. Yours all. Uh, thank you. So this uh, so this came from a few years ago. There, a, a couple of organizations put out some research that was looking technology investment, and um, even though you know majority seventy around normally around seventy five percent of organizations are investing in emerging technologies, we repeatedly see that um, leaders keep saying um, only about. 
10, 15 to 20% are reporting that they're actually having any success with the technologies. And so it started to make me ask the questions, why, why is it there's the success rate in adoption? And we start to look at um, what's happening in the differences between the organizations. And that's where we start to realize that there are existing social differences in organizations. So how an organization is run, how strategy, how the strategy is written, um, how procure, uh, procurement of technology occurs, the level of awareness and education of senior leadership, um, all these social factors are what's either allowing organizations to innovate and to be able to adopt technologies and to bring them in, or it's actually hindering them. Obviously, there are some factors that are um, have more impact than others, um, such as leadership is going to have a huge impact on adoption rates. Um, but it is, uh, it's those social measures that are really what's creating the difference between organizations and the, our ability to adopt. And if we can start understanding that as leaders, if we can start understanding that um, in business, we can start thinking about those social factors and helping to improve them to become an innovative organization or at least an organization that's willing to listen to new, in, uh, new innovative ideas and not wait two, three years until it's forced on us or until something like the pandemic happens and all of a sudden you have to use Teams because it's a need. You don't want to be waiting until it's a need or an absolute must for your business to be adopting a technology. Thank yeah. you, Megan. Let's go around the table fast. Steve, I put a note in your chat here for you if you want to weave that in. It's one of well, your statements. Yeah, no, I, I think that this gets... Three minutes you know, left this, to the show. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so really quickly, it goes back to my quote about false hopes and expectations. But I think part of it, Megan, you're talking about on... I agree with what you said, but I think part of the issue, people say the technology wasn't successful. It's that they have the, long, the wrong view of it. No technology is going to solve all of your people problems. Like, for example... You, no company will ever have a perfect performance management process. It's impossible. It's inherently hard. And by the time you develop one process, the world will have changed and you'll need something different. And people's expectations change. As things get better, people want better. Is your internet speed ever fast enough? You know? <laughs> and so the faster it gets, the faster we want. And so I think really part of this is also recognizing that when we look at technology, what we really should focus on is we want tools that tell us what's going on now and give flexibility and the ability to change it. Um, I'm reminded of customers that have shared that with me, that they're like, we didn't know how bad we were doing something until we had the technology in place. Then we knew it was we were doing it bad, but then we could change it. I always like to say, approach technology deployments, you're not building a house that's going to be static. You're planting a garden, particularly with cloud technology, and you can't, And a healthy garden is constantly changing. And if you're not constantly growing it, it's going to wither away and die. So that's kind of, I think, part of that success rate is we've defined success the wrong way when it comes to technology in many ways. Thank you, Steve. Dean, I can give you one minute for a response. Go. Real quick, so it's not it's not about tech, it's about function in this case. And the function is how does the end user want to or should they use it? And if it's designed for the end user and it's role-based, then functionally they'll want to use it. And the adoption that Megan was talking about should prevail. Um, that, there's a lot involved in that, and it's not as easy as just as what I just said. But if we keep a mindset about function and role-based and making sure that that fits the end user, we should be okay or better. I think we need a part two on the show. Laura, you get the last word, 30 <laughs> seconds. That's all I got. Well, what struck me with what Megan was saying was we need to know thyself first and, and really understand um, our core capabilities, our attitudes, our, you know, the, 
the, the, the cultural differences that we have throughout the company. And boy, I would love it if there had to be a test that you got to take before the fact to say, are you ready? Are you mature enough? Can you take on this difficult and challenging assignment? It starts with being honest. A lot of times people are in denial. Oh, yeah, we could do this. We can knock this out of the park. And then they're disappointed when it doesn't happen. I love the fact that we would be actually doing a an objective self-assessment first and meet them where they are. EEQ, Enterprise Emotional Quotient. I'm going to stop there. I love it. Enterprise Intelligent Quotient. I don't know. I want to thank all of you. I'm sorry we ran out of time. It's been a very, very interesting and robust conversation. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you again behind the scenes, Hannah Hale and Sherry Meyer at Rising. You both ladies are wonderful and brilliant, and I'm happy to work with you. Dean Edmondson, wave goodbye. Lars Bergman, wave goodbye. Megan Marie Butler, wave goodbye. Dr. Steve, don't go away. we got to take pictures. And to Andrew, <laughs> our engineer at Voice America, thank you very much. This is Bonnie Dean saying don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for another edition of Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. And remember, the future didn't happen yet. People tell you what's already here. That was yesterday's future. That was the sentence I just finished and it's gone already. Everybody wave goodbye. Happy Thanksgiving. Gratitude around the table on Thanksgiving Day. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise with Rising, a Wipro company. Rising enables you to create your business journey your way with SAP technology. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag R-I-Z-I-N-G. That's Rising with a Z. Please join us again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively evolving week.